This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, we're on page 60 if you've got one of the few Bibles. While you're turning there, I do want just to uh, point your attention to something that is in the bulletin. The session was very happy to receive Jillian Elmer uh, at our meeting last Monday night as a communing member of the church. Jillian was, a, of course, a non-communing member, but upon her profession of faith uh, in Christ Jesus, received to the Lord's table as a communing member. She's going to take her vows in the 11 o'clock service, but I just want you to be aware of that. If you see her, to welcome her as a communing member in our church. This morning we're looking at Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 25. Hear the word of God. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended, descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. 
the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that as we study your word this morning, that in your light we would see light. Father, as we study this passage, particularly this this glorious manifestation that you in which you revealed yourself to your people, uh, Father, that you would teach us those things that you would have us to learn about you, about what it means to come before you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. title of this sermon is Preparing to Meet God. Now, perhaps I should clarify. I'm not talking about preparing to meet God upon your death, although that too is important, and we should be prepared to meet God, and we will talk a little bit about that uh, in the sermon this morning. But rather, when I talk about preparing to meet God, I mean preparing to meet with God, to approach the Lord, to come before him in this life as we live here in this fallen world. What does it mean to approach God? What does it mean to meet with God here in this world, whether it's in the context as here in a, in a formal corporate worship service, uh, whether it's in the context of uh, family worship or even individual private devotions, What do the scriptures teach us about coming near to God, about approaching God? That's what we see here in this passage as Israel, uh, having come out of their bondage in Egypt, having been sprung free by the mighty power of God from the grasp of Pharaoh, from slavery to him, uh, as they draw near to God. Three months later now, they're, they're about to meet the God who has delivered them. And we read of their preparations here. Now, we want to look at this and see what we can learn, what this chapter has to teach us about what it means to approach God and what's involved with that. Now, I do want to emphasize that we need to recognize that we're talking about a specific people in a specific place. In many ways, Israel's experience here is unique, uh, not to be repeated. In fact, it wasn't repeated. It's a unique event a unique circumstance in which God is revealing himself in a particular way to his people and in which he gives them his law, the Ten Commandments and other laws that that flow out of that. Yet, we too are God's people. We too are the descendants, the spiritual descendants of these people who gathered there at Mount Sinai. And I think by way of analogy, This passage has some things to teach us about how we approach God. And specifically, I want us to look at three truths that that we find here in this passage about what it means to draw near to God, 
for us as, as sinful people, yet redeemed by God, what it means for us to come near. First of all, first truth that we see here is that meeting with God is at his invitation. It is at his invitation. We don't take it upon ourselves to dictate to God. We don't take it upon ourselves to uh, to put ourselves in his presence, but we come at his invitation. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, first few verses of this chapter. Uh, God has redeemed them. Verse 1. The third new moon after the people, three months later, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. On that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, it's been three months. They've come out of Egypt, but that itself was God's work. God took the initiative to come to them to raise up Moses and Aaron to uh, to lead them. This was God's doing, God's work. And even then, he was being obedient or being faithful, I should say, to promises he had made much earlier to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the very fact that they were now out of Egypt was not their doing. It was God who had taken the initiative to come to them and to deliver them from Egypt. And then we see how God not only redeemed them out of Egypt, but then he specifically brings them to himself in verse 2. They set out from Rephidim, came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Now, we've been following our study of Exodus, their time in the wilderness, where God was still with them, brought them through the Red Sea, brought them through uh, their fears about what they would eat, their fears about what they would drink, testing them, yes, and yet showing his faithfulness and his ability to provide for them, take care of them, to meet their needs. Look again at verse 4. Beautiful image. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What a, what a beautiful picture. God says it's as if the eagles were carrying you to me, just as surely, just as securely uh, being carried to me. Now, they may not have felt that way. When they were getting thirsty, when they were getting hungry, when they were in the wilderness, and it seemed like they were not going anywhere fast at all. But the Lord uses that image. I was as if I brought you to myself on eagle's wings. It may not have appeared that way to them, but the Lord was very surely and certainly bringing them to himself. But also, he enters into a covenant with them. This is, this is still talking about God, God's invitation. It's God who redeemed them. It's God who is bringing them to himself. And it's God who wants to establish a relationship. Notice what goes on here in uh, in verse 5. He's brought them to himself. He's speaking to them through Moses. He says, now, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. That's an expression that occurs in a number of different places in the Old Testament. Uh, but the Lord speaks of his people as something dear to him, something he treasures, something he values. Among all peoples, all the earth is mine. All peoples are his, in, in, a, in a sense. But these whom he has redeemed would belong to him in a special sense. It would be particularly treasured by him. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak. And so Moses does. Verse 7, calls the elders, sets before them the words the Lord had spoken. And at verse uh, 8, all the people answer. It says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reports back to the Lord. And with that in place, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to come and meet with you. 
But see here, meeting God is at his invitation. He redeems them. He draws them to himself. He is the one who establishes the terms of the relationship and says, I want to be in relationship with you. Here are the terms. Will you agree? And the people say, yes, we will agree. Now, when you speak of these generally, what's going on here, you see that the very same things apply to us today. We approach God, we come to God at his invitation. It's the Lord who has redeemed us by sending his son, Jesus, to die, to redeem us from the power and the penalty of our sin. Uh, It's the Lord who has drawn us to himself. It's the Lord who came to us and redeemed us and draws us to himself. It's the Lord who has offered to make a covenant and presented that covenant that we enter into this uh, covenant relationship with him in which God himself has made promises to us. And we receive those promises in faith and we commit that to him that he will be our God and we will be his people, that he will protect us and provide for us and watch over us, be our heavenly father, and we will be his children. We'll love him. We'll, we'll obey him. We'll trust him. And, and receive all that he has for us in Christ Jesus. You see specific instances of this in the, in the um, New Testament. We sometimes speak of God's calling us in a couple of senses as an internal call, that God has to call our hearts inwardly before we will come to him. And Jesus says in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Later in the same chapter, he says, no one can come unless it has been granted to him by my Father. So God does call us inwardly, and that what does that look like? Well, it, it typically looks like this. You, you see yourself as a sinner. You see yourself as without God, and therefore without hope, and yet you also see what God has provided in Jesus. And you say, I want that. I need that. I trust in Jesus. I follow him, because I recognize there's no other way I can be right with God. There's no other way that I can be with God in the, in the blessings of his presence rather than under his judgment in hell. So there's that inward call, but there's also the outward call where God invites us to come to him. And I was thinking about that, thinking of the, the New Testament. And the one that came to my mind is most clearly is when Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm humble, lowly in heart. Uh, that, that is an external call. That's Jesus appealing to people. Come to me, believe in me, follow me, and I will give you rest. I will give you these blessings. I'll give you my own righteousness, not this legalistic burden that the Pharisees placed on people, not the guilt of sin, not, not some standard that God sets and says, look, you have to meet this or forget it. Jesus says, look, I've met this for you. Come and receive that righteousness from me. Come and receive that cleansing from me. And the two work together. Who are those who respond to that call? Well, it's those whom the Father has enabled, who's drawing to believe. But in the external sense, we recognize that that's God's business. Our business is to hear the call of Christ who says, come to me and I will give you rest. And to do it, to follow him, to trust in him, to believe in him. So we draw near to God at his invitation, and indeed at his provision in Christ, so that we can come before him. Now, and we'll talk more about that tonight, by the way, from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, where the writer of the Hebrews speaks of our having confidence to draw near. 
It's confidence. It's not presumption because God himself invites us to come to him just as he did Israel in bringing them out of Egypt. So we meet with God as his invitation, but we go on to see here that when we do meet with God, it calls for careful preparation. That we don't just waltz carelessly into God's presence, although we can come informally and intimately, as we'll see, but we need to recognize that meeting with God calls for some measure of Preparation, or at least being prepared to some degree. Notice what it was for Israel. They agree to this, and the Lord says in verse 9, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. The people may hear when I speak with you and may believe you forever. Notice some of the preparations that were made. There was consecration. There was getting ready. God didn't appear immediately. He said, take a couple of days to get ready. On the third day, I will appear. Well, what do they do? Well, we read that they, they washed their clothes. We read that uh, Moses uh, consecrated the people in verse 14. They washed again, washing their clothes. Uh, They apparently abstained from any intimate marital relations, did not go near a woman. Uh, All of this just to get focused, just to get ready for this big event that was coming up where God would come down and meet with them. So there was this consecration. There was this, this washing. Boundaries were set. Uh, we see this also in 11 through 14, uh, verse 12 particularly. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Uh, there were some things that were off limits. There were boundaries to be observed as they prepared to come into the presence of God. Now, for us, you know, we're not there in, at Mount Sinai, uh, and yet... The writer to the Hebrews talks about, you know, we, we are not approaching the mountain like they did, but we do approach the same God. We do come before the same God. How do we do that? How do we prepare? Whether it's coming here for public worship, whether it's coming before the Lord in, in Bible reading and meditation of prayer. Uh, well, some things that we might take our cue from here, one would be washing, not necessarily our clothes, although we might wash them before we come here on Sunday morning, but more washing the soul, repenting, going before the Lord, asking his forgiveness for sins, asking for his pardon, asking him to uh, make us pure and spotless in Christ Jesus, to help us put sin to death that's in our lives, um, reflecting on the, the cost that Jesus paid so that that door to God is open. That while it's free to us, it was not free to God who paid the price of his only son, so that we can approach him. And remembering who it is we're coming before, that this is the Lord God. This is the one who created heavens and earth. This is the one who has redeemed us. This is the one who is omniscient, knowing all things at all times. This is the one who is omnipotent, who can, who can speak in a universe exists. All of these are ways that we might prepare. The, the sense for Israel was just to get a, an awareness of the magnificence of God. This was not someone to trifle with. This was not someone to, to take lightly. Now, that's not at all to say, as, as children of God, as, as believers, that there's also not a warm closeness and intimacy there. There absolutely is. Absolutely. We call him our Father, But he is our father in heaven. But the tendency, I think, among believers today is not so much to be overwhelmed by the majesty of God, but quite taken with their intimacy with God. Now, both are true. We need both. 
But the point is we need both. We do need to have a sense of the grandeur and majesty of God and remember uh, whose presence it is that we are entering, who it is we approach. And so we see that here, this, this preparation, taking care to be ready to come into the presence of the Lord. The third truth that we see here is, is that we need to be aware that meeting with God exposes us to his holy presence, or another way to put it, to the holiness of his presence. And that is pretty awesome and in some ways a frightening thing. We recently watched, uh, and for some of us rewatched, the old movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, there are a lot of things in that movie that they got wrong. One thing, the whole premise of the movie was whoever could recover and possess the Ark of the Covenant would be victorious in warfare. The, the Nazis wanted it. They wanted to prevent the Nazis from getting it. Maybe they have the Ark for themselves, the Allies. But all of that, of course, had already been tried. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, the, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. The Philistines defeated Israel. And they said, well, let's, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go retrieve it from Shiloh and bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle with us, and we'll be victorious. And so the Ark enters the Israelite camp, and there's cheering and uproar, and the Philistines hear this. And they think, what has happened? Oh, a god has come into the camp. We're in trouble now. We really have to fight hard. And they do. And they not only defeat Israel, but they capture the Ark of the Covenant. Because God is not going to allow them to use that symbol of his presence and his covenant with them as some sort of lucky charm that if it's just present with them, they're going to win. So that whole premise was wrong. I mean, if if in the the Raiders of the Lost Ark, they'd read 1 Samuel 4, they would know that this just wasn't even a problem. But there was something they got right. And some of you have seen it or remember the, uh, the scene near the end of the movie as they open the Ark of the Covenant and things go badly wrong and, and very scary. One thing, thing that they got right was you don't trifle with God. There are consequences to trifling with God because God is holy and he's not to be toyed with. Notice the concern here is that God would break out against his people. Look at verse 22. That's curious language. Let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And again, in verse 24, do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. What does that mean? Well, we have some sense of that, the Lord breaking out. In fact, that exact same term is used in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 8, where David is celebrating, they're bringing the ark up to Jerusalem. Unfortunately, they are not carrying the ark properly. They have the ark on a cart being pulled by oxen. And the Lord had designed the ark so that it was carried by poles, which they also got right, by the way, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You carry it with poles. You don't touch it. You slide the poles through the loops and you carry it on foot. Well, they had it on an ox cart, and the cart... uh, is jogged by the terrain, oxen stumble, the cart, it shakes, and the ark wavers, and a man named Uzzah reaches out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. His motive was good. 
Oh, we don't want the ark to fall off the cart. We don't want it to touch the ground, something like that. And the moment he did that, verse 7, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry at God for what had happened. But back in Numbers, God said, you shall not touch these holy things. Uzzah touched it. It didn't matter what his motive was. He touched the holy ark of the covenant. And so it says, uh, David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. The word is the same. The breaking out against Uzzah. The holiness of God broke out and destroyed Uzzah because he touched that ark. You have another instance. You're probably familiar with Leviticus 10 where a Nadab and Abihu offers the word is sometimes translated strange fire or an unauthorized fire for the Lord. It sounds like they were just playing with the incense and, and mixing it or doing something strange with it that was out of uh, what uh, God had instructed. It was inappropriate. And when they did that, the presence of God, the holiness of God, breaks out against them and they die immediately. You see, meeting God exposes us to his holy presence or the holiness of his presence. I like the way Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 3 puts it, and I think this is is an appropriate warning. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Well, is it better than not to approach God at all? Well, of course not. God invites us to come into his presence. We prepare to come into his presence. And we can come into the presence of God, but only through a mediator. It's interesting, toward the end of chapter 20, the people didn't want to hear from God. They wanted Moses to hear from God and come and talk to them. They wanted a mediator, and Moses served that. But we have a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood has atoned for our sin. The holiness of God broke out against Jesus on Calvary's cross so that it wouldn't break out against you and me. And we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus so that as we come into the presence of God, his holiness has no reason to break out against us because the holy presence of God encounters the holiness of Christ covering you, covering me. We need the mediating work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Friday morning, we started our study, the men's Bible study of Ephesians. Chapter 1, the first few verses, and I just want to go through that, and it it struck me in reading through that as we were discussing it Friday morning, how clearly Paul indicates that our salvation is bound to Jesus. This is Ephesians 1. I won't read every word, but I just want to emphasize some places to you. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Uh, End of verse 6, which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see why Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me? Because God's whole presence, his, his blessings, his salvation, is mediated to us through Jesus. It's so bound up in Jesus that the idea, not only being saved apart from Christ, but even coming before God apart from Christ is absurd. It's impossible and can result ultimately only in judgment. That some unholy, sinful person would dare to come into the presence of God apart from the covenanted Death and righteousness of Jesus is insane. You don't want to go before God except in Christ. But the good news is we can come before God and know that we will be warmly and gladly welcomed in Christ Jesus. We have a mediator, and it's in him that we're able to come before the Lord and enjoy the presence of God and the blessings of his salvation. You know, reading of this and the threat of God's presence breaking out, even against those whom he brought out of Egypt, reminds me of that great conversation about Aslan, the the Christ figure in C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Mr. Beaver is talking and he says, Don't you know who who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The good news is that God invites us to come into his presence. He bids us approach him, that we might glorify him, that we might enjoy him. And he is our Abba, Father, as Paul describes him in Romans chapter 8. But you see, this passage, Exodus 19, reminds us never to presume upon our intimacy with God. Don't let it cause you that intimacy to think that God is safe. You see, he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Holy One of Israel. He is the King, I tell you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we adore you both as our loving Heavenly Father and as our glorious and magnificent and holy God. Father, help us to hold both of these things together, your nearness, yet your your transcendence. Father, to have a sense of your close love for us, that you know even the number of hairs on our head, and yet also, Lord, you are the one who calls the stars by name. Father, give us that right biblical mix of intimacy and awe that you deserve. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to yourself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.